we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. Before we dive into magical realism, I wanted to remind y'all to rate, review, and subscribe, as well as follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds, and you can send an email to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com if you'd like to reach out to us. With that out of the way, today, Emma and I are joined by Marissa. Welcome back, Marissa, to talk about one of mine and Marissa's favorite genres magical realism hello everyone howdy hey marissa welcome back glad you're here thanks for having me and so excited to talk about one of my favorite genres i wanted to kick today off with what exactly is magical realism i'm gonna avoid the like miriam webster defines it as but i will give a little history here Magical realism has a long history dating back into the 1920s. Uh, It was from magic realism to describe a type of painting and how magical and fantastic normal objects can appear in the real world when you stop and look at them. Kind of like when you say a word too many times and it loses all meaning. So that that kind of vibe. Uh, We owe the nurturing of the genre to South America and many Latin American authors for their writing of mundane situations with those fantastical elements. Hem, the metamorphosis, which came out before this term was coined, but is absolutely magical realism. Uh, Some characteristics you're probably looking for is just a rule of thumb across the board. You've got that realistic setting. It's happening in our world or a space that's familiar to the reader. It's got those magical elements. We have limited information about the magic system. It's usually unexplained or the narrator is unreliable. Anything that really reinforces that this is a normal part of daily life, just making the magical mundane. Sometimes there's a critique of society and you've usually got some sort of unique plot structure. So to start us off, what drew you both to this genre and or what was your introduction to magical realism? This is a perfect opportunity to talk about one of my other favorite passions, which is the CW show, Jane the Virgin. (laughs) So not only is that show a telenovela, but it also has elements of magical realism where you have the fantastical set in a normal setting. I think they're in Miami. 
So uh, that was my first introduction, uh, albeit through television, just to the element, well, not to the, I guess I've been introduced to this before, but I would say in recent memory, that reminded me of that sort of style where you have those fantastical elements in normal day-to-day life, and then reminded me of uh, some of the books that I'll mention in this episode. Such a great point to think of how this also spills over into like pop culture and TV media. Marissa, how about you? Like the answer to anything regarding books and how I, my love of books formed, it goes back to my mother. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I owe my mom for my love of reading, but particularly magical realism. Her favorite book when I was a kid was called Vapor. And it was about a woman who meets the stranger, explains all of her biggest desires, and he ends up kidnapping her. Sort of like that show on Netflix, OA, a little bit like that. He's a scientist. He, you know, captures her and keeps her in his house, but He's doing it with the intention of making all of her dreams come true, but it's through this like science and it has a magical element. Um, And my mom was obsessed with this book when I was a kid. At some point, it was even her password. Like we, you know, to like her email account. Uh, That's how much she loved it. She told everyone about it when I was a kid, when she got a chance. So really, I owe her... (laughs) for my love of magical realism and uh, her love of vapor is really what sparked that. It's, it's just so, in, there are so many interesting takes to what brings us into magical realism. That was a way better story, Marissa, than mine, like Jane the Virgin reference. <laughs> I love Jane the Virgin too. <laughs> like I was nodding my head along with you like, yes, I really love every form of magical realism. Yeah, there's, and there's so much to it. Like the the overarching kind of bit that I gave is, is a very like dull interpretation of it because right, the, the magical realism part could be that like otherworldly sci-fi element. You can have a sci-fi twist to that magical realism, like you were talking about in Vapor. And it, it just really depends on what you're, what you're kind of looking for. But It's also an interesting genre as a whole. I will say this is one that may not be for everyone because it's usually, like I said, with unique plot structure, they usually have odd uh, twists in the writing style or there is something about it that's built to kind of throw you off. Now, is there something that both of you like the most about magical realism? Anything that you're looking for when you pick up a title like this? So. I will say what I love about magical realism is the same reason that I think some people might have trouble with it, it, which is the balance between real life and magic. You know, I know so many people who are like, if I'm going fantasy, I want to commit to fantasy all the way, or, you know, I want to commit to literary fiction all the way. And it's hard for them to suspend their belief just a little bit. I love that. I love being like, this is real life, but with a little tiny bit of magic, because that's what I wish real life was like. (laughs) So 
So yeah, I would say that is the reason I love it is because I like just suspending my belief a little bit. Mm-hmm. I I absolutely love that as well. But just, it, it, I, I'm sure I've said this a thousand times on the show, but like our real world, but a little bit to the left, like it's, it's still the same thing, but there's just something about it that makes you go, this could be happening. And right. It's that like, I want to live that way life with just like a little extra bit of magic. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I mean, I tend to read either contemporary or fantasy. And so sometimes this is that nice middle ground where you get the best of both. Well, with all that said, let's let's dive into it. And I'm going to kick us off if y'all don't mind, because before I share my first title, I have to bring up one I've brought up a thousand times. If you know me in life, if you know me on the show, and it also happens to be on every list of magical realism books you should read, of course, that is Beloved by Toni Morrison. One of my all-time favorite books, and it is a reread to the point of wearing the pages out uh, in my own collection. I also wanted to give a short list of the titles you see most often, and they're all ones that we're not bringing up today. Uh, So, of course, you've got 100 Years of Solitude and Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie, Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel, uh, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle and Kafka on the Shore by Haruki Murakami, and The Life of Pi by Yen Martel. So just like a a wide array there uh, from all eras that you'll see on a lot of these lists that kind of hold all of those different components uh, so if you're if you're joining us today, of course, we're giving a combo of some favorites and some new releases, but I thought I'd throw out those, uh, I guess, classics of the genre. All right, so now I'll, I'll go into my first title. Uh, this is The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake by Amy Bender. This is the oldest title on my list. I tried to bring recent picks today because I could easily get lost in the genre, But this takes place on the eve of her ninth birthday, unassuming Rose Edelstein, a girl at the periphery of schoolyard games and her distracted parents' attention, bites into her mother's homemade lemon chocolate cake and discovers she has a magical gift. She can taste her mother's emotion in the cake. She discovers this gift to her horror for her mother, her cheerful, good with crafts, can-do mother, tastes of despair and desperation. Suddenly, and for the rest of her life, food becomes a peril and a threat to Rose. The curse her gift has bestowed is the secret knowledge all families keep hidden. Her mother's life outside the home, her father's detachment, her brother's clash with the world. Yet, as Rose grows up, she learns to harness her gift and becomes aware that there are secrets even her taste buds can't discern. So it's a luminous tale about the enormous difficulty of loving someone fully when you know too much about them. Would you continue eating cake, lemon cake if it made you feel your mother's emotions? It's it's all food. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the lemon cake that that like on her ninth birthday, that's when she finds out that anything she eats, she can taste the person's emotion. Could you imagine? That is a curse. Like the worst kind of empathy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that was The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake by Amy Bender. Marissa, do you want to give us your first title? Sure thing. So my first title is Una Out of Order by Margarita Montemore. 
It's New Year's Eve, 1982, and Una Lockhart has her whole life before her. At the stroke of midnight, she will turn 19, and the year ahead promises to be one of consequence. Should she go to London to study economics or remain at home in Brooklyn to pursue her passion for music and be with her boyfriend? As the countdown to the new year begins, Una faints and awakens 32 years in the future in her 51-year-old body. Greeted by a friendly stranger in a beautiful house she's told is her own, Una learns that with each passing year, she will leap to another age at random. And so begins Una out of order, hopping through decades, pop culture fads, and much-needed stock tips. Una is still a young woman on the inside, but ever-changing on the outside. Who will she be next year? Philanthropist, club kid, world traveler, wife to a man she's never met? I picked this book up for two reasons. One, the most obvious to you, Joe, my cat's name is Una, spelled the exact same way. So as soon as I saw it on the shelf, I was like, gimme, gimme, let me see what that is. And then the second reason um, was that it gave me Time Traveler Wife vibes. And I loved that book as a kid. Again, thank you, mom. You're the one who passed it on. I know she's listening because I told her I was telling everyone about Vapor and she's like, oh my I was like, I love The Time Traveler's Wife, and this is kind of giving me those vibes, so I have to pick it up. Now, the two the two books do have similarities. The unpredictability of their time travel. So Una does know when she's going to t- time travel, unlike Henry in The Time Traveler's Wife, but she doesn't know what age she's jumping to. So that is similar in that they don't know where they're going next or what time they're going next. Another similarity between the two books is that the future versions of the time traveling character are both adamant about not sharing certain information either with their past self or with their partner in the term in the case of the time traveler's wife. With that being said, I don't want anyone to think they're getting the time traveler's wife by opening up out of order, um, mainly because the time traveler wife is 200 pages longer than Una out of order. And so that author is able to really hash out the whys of, of Henry's time traveling. And that doesn't really happen in Una out of order. And as someone who reads a lot of reviews after I finish a book, that is a complaint that people have is like, I need to understand why. And then their other complaint tends to be like, Una makes stupid decisions, which is 100% true. She leaves herself notes, kind of prepping her for the year ahead, but the the notes are never helpful. Like she really should be giving herself more information and she never does. And the information she does get, she tends to not listen to. So that's a big critique that I've seen with this book in general, I think that it makes perfect sense for Una to not listen because she's 19 years old. Like, despite her being in a 52-year-old body, she's 19. And let's be honest, 19-year-olds don't listen to good advice. (laughs) They don't make good decisions. And that is reflected in this book. So 
you really have to remember that she's a teenager and she's making decisions like a teenager. She's not making a decision that a 52 year old would make. But overall, I really, really like this book. I read it really quickly. And um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun to read. So that is Una Out of Order by Margarita Montemore. It sounds like so much fun. And I couldn't agree more. To me, that makes it realistic. I would absolutely leave myself totally unhelpful notes. I already do it and I'm not jumping through time. And me at 19, I'm going to do what 19-year-old me wants. Exactly. One thing I also really liked about it too is that she jumps to like 2017 from 1982 to 2017, you know, is introduced to all this great technology that we have in 2017 and then goes back in time again and has to relearn how to live without that technology available, which I thought was a fun part of the book as well. That is really fun and also would be an absolute trip. That would be such a unique challenge to kind of progress backwards in some ways. I am thankful for modern technology, although the book that I'm going to suggest is a great time traveling segue. Here I am literally editing my pics as we're having this discussion because I can't believe I forgot about this book and I won't spend uh, tons of time on it, even though I'm babbling in the lead up because this is an extremely popular book, but I really enjoyed it. And I thought it handled this style really well. And that's The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. This came out in 2020, though fairly recent in terms of of these books. But I believe V.E. Schwab is going back on tour for this book this year because of some special paperback release. I think there've been several different editions of this book because it's been so popular. And I think the reason for that is because of the content. So this book starts in France in 1714, where you have Addie LaRue, who in a moment of desperation makes a sort of Faustian bargain to live forever. But the flip side of that bargain is that she is going to be cursed to be forgotten by everyone she meets. So as soon as people turn away from her or leave or whatever the circumstance might be, they completely forget who she is and that they've met before. So that's sort of the circumstances that lead to the rest of the story with Addie LaRue, who plays out over, I think, 300 years or so where she's cursed to going all over the world and meeting all of these people and none of them remember her. And all of that is sort of something she's accepted until she meets a man in a bookstore in New York who remembers her name. So there's a lot going on here that I enjoy. There's those, again, magical realism elements. There's there's romance. I won't spoil it with any further details, but this was one of the most unique stories I've read in recent years. And if you have not checked it out or heard about it by some miracle, I would definitely recommend you do so. It was a wholly unique and enjoyable experience. And it does certainly give not quite time travelers wife vibes because they're not going back and fourth in time, but because um, the perspective of the story, it does hop around to some of her different 
um, locations and time periods. And we kind of come back to present day where she meets this man who remembers her. So it, if you like that sort of style, which I really do, then I would again, recommend the invisible life of Addie LaRue. This book has been on my TBR for so long, but it's one of those books. And I'm sure you both have one too, that like, as soon as it reaches the top, I'm like, I'm not ready for a book that long. And it goes right back down, makes its way up again. <laughs> I always skip over it because it's such a monster. I just went to look at the pages and I was like, eh. um, it's so long. I was just going to say it does the uh, story pacing to me read very quickly though. So if the page count looks intimidating to you, I felt like the story moved at a good pace. So maybe that will help sway you next time it comes back to the top. <laughs> maybe that's what I need. Yeah, that is exactly what I need the next time it makes its way back up. My next pick, I'm pretty sure I brought this up last year on the podcast in one of our month book picks, uh, but this is When We Were Birds by Ayana Lloyd Banwo. In the old house on a hill where the city meets the rainforest, Yajide's mother is dying. She's leaving behind a legacy that now passes to Yajide. One St. Bernard woman in every generation has the power to shepherd the city's souls into the afterlife. But after years of suffering her mother's neglect and bitterness, Yajide is looking for a way out. Raised in the countryside by a devout Rastafarian mother, Darwin has always abided by the religious commandment not to interact with death. He has never been to a funeral, much less seen a dead body. But when the only job he can find is grave digging, he must betray the life his mother built for him in order to provide for them both. Newly shorn of his dreadlocks and his past and determined to prove himself, Darwin finds himself adrift in a city electric with possibility and danger. Yajide and Darwin will meet inside the gates of Fidelis, an ancient and sprawling cemetery where the dead lie uneasy in their graves, and a reckoning with fate beckons them both. Um, the cover is stunning. The story is really beautiful. It's moving. It's got those kind of elements of two different people kind of so against. On one hand, you have someone who's like, trying so hard to stick to the life that's been set for him. While on the other hand, you've got someone who's so much trying to leave that predestined path behind. And when they meet in the middle, oh, it's, it's just, it's a great time. And it is that, that true magical real, realism element of it's so normal to have this shepherd of death amidst, you know, it just, it plays beautifully. So that is When We Were Birds by Ayana Lloyd Banwo. That jacket cover really is amazing. I love it. Right. I love dark jacket covers with like lots of color uh, on uh. on contrasting that like dark background. My next title actually takes place in Ecuador. So it does have that thing you were talking about earlier in the breakdown of the genre, which is like a lot of um the roots of magical realism really come from Latin America, South America. And that is the Inheritance of Orchidea Divina by Zareda Cordova. The Montoyas are used to a life without explanations. They know better than to ask why the pantry never seems to run low or why their matriarch won't ever leave their home in Four Rivers. Not for graduations, weddings, or baptisms. But when 
Orchidia Divina invites them to her funeral and to collect their inheritance, they hope to learn the secrets that she has held onto so tightly their whole lives. Instead, Orchidia is transformed into a tree, leaving them with more questions than answers. Seven years later, her gifts have manifested in different ways for Marimar, Ray, and Rhiannon, granting them unexpected blessings and powers. But soon, a hidden figure begins to tear through their family tree, picking them off one by one as it seeks to destroy Orchidia's line. Determined to save what's left of their family and uncover the truth behind their inheritance, her descendants travel to Ecuador to the place where Orchidia buried her secrets and broken promises and never looked back. So this book alternates between past and present. The past is all about Orchidia's life and like her decisions leading up to her funeral where she becomes a tree. And then the present is all about her family members and descendants discovering their magic and taking on this, you know, dark hidden figure that is killing off family members. I picked this book up because the main character, or Orchidia, becomes a tree. And that's actually something that happens in one of my favorite musicals of all time, uh, Once on This Island, which is a story about a forbidden romance um, in the Antilly Islands, and it's about a, a darker-skinned woman falling in love with a lighter-skinned, they call them grand ohms, which are like the descendants of the French and their slave owners. And it kind of has a little bit of magical realism to it as well. There are four gods who kind of like um, have an impact on the decision that these two main characters are making. And um, toward the end of the book, someone in the book becomes a tree. So when I read on the back of this jacket cover, that the main character becomes a tree. I was like, oh, that's enough, enticing enough for me to pick this book up and, and see how it is. So I'm so glad I did. It is beautifully written. It is probably one of the most well-written books that I've read in a while. I think she did an amazing job of really engulfing you in the story of this family. I will say that I started listening to the audiobook at first and I loved the narrator. I thought she did an amazing job, but there are so many family members that it really was hard for me to keep track of who was who. And so I ended up switching to the ebook version. And in the beginning of the ebook, there was a family tree and I bookmarked that family tree and I was able to hop back to the family tree anytime I needed while I was reading it. And that actually helped tremendously in keeping everyone straight, all of the characters straight. So if you're someone who um, gets easily confused by a lot of characters, I did the same thing for Game of Thrones. I could not listen to it. I had to read it because of the amount of characters that were involved and I needed the map and, you know, all of those different things. Then I would recommend reading this either in its physical form or the ebook form because you can bookmark that glossary, bookmark that map, bookmark that family tree, and be able to reference it later on. So I won't give too much away. 
Uh, but I'll just end it by saying, if you love magic, if you love stories about family, if you love to get into your feels and you love good writing, then this book is for you. And if you loved Encanto, the Disney movie Encanto, it kind of has those vibes as well. That's a reference I can appreciate. (laughs) I love that. My next pick is The Charmed Wife by Olga Grushin. This book came out in January of 2021. So not super new, but not super old. This follows a Cinderella retelling. So Cinderella married the man of her dreams, the perfect ending she deserved after diligently following all of the fairy tale rules. Yet now, 13 and a half years later, things have gone badly wrong and her life is far from perfect. One night, fed up and exhausted, she sneaks out of the palace to get help from the witch who, for a price, offers love potions to disgruntled housewives. But as the old hag flings the last ingredients into the cauldron, Cinderella doesn't ask for a love spell to win back her Prince Charming. Instead, she wants him dead. Endlessly surprising, wildly inventive, and decidedly modern, the charmed wife weaves together time and place, fantasy, and reality to conjure a world unlike any other. Nothing in it is quite what it seems. The twists and turns of its magical, dark, and swiftly shifting paths take us deep into the heart of what makes us unique, of romance and marriage, and of the very nature of storytelling. So I love that this is Cinderella inspired, but it's called The Charmed Wife by Olga Grushin. The not audible because we were muted, but the visible gasp from both Marissa and I when you went to kill him. Yeah, I mean, with a twist. Yes. And I personally love when stories address what happens in the so-called happily ever after. So oftentimes in these, you know, fantasy stories or mythology or fairy tales or anything like that, this is the end point in a lot of stories is that they end up married, they get together and they live happily ever after. But I love that sort of take where what happens in the after. Right. Like this is what everyone's been telling you to strive for. What could that actually look like? Yeah, because that's the hard part. <laughs> it's like getting once you were to the life that you want, then you've got to maintain it and you've got to keep those relationships going and all of that. And that sort of work that you're putting into the mundane um, is not something that's often talked about in, you know, fairy tales or fantasy or things like that. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like, if casual and cool, had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. 
my next pick is The Night Shift by Natalka Burian. Hidden behind back doors of bars and restaurants and theaters and shops all over New York City are shortcuts, secret passageways that allow you to jump through time and space to emerge in different parts of the city. No one knows where they came from, but there are rules. You can only travel through them one way and only at night. When Jean's work friend Iggy introduces her to the shortcuts, it's to help her shorten her commute between her night shifts bartending and her work at an upscale bakery. Jean is intrigued, but has a hard time shaking the side effects. These shortcuts make her more talkative, more open to discussing her past, and recalling memories she's tried hard to forget. When Iggy goes missing, Jean believes it's related to these shortcuts and his growing obsession with them. But as she starts digging into their origins, she comes to find a strange connection between herself and the shortcuts. So just a shimmering, propulsive novel set in New York City during the early aughts and across time, uh, The Night Shift shows that by confronting the past, we can reshape our future. So that is The Night Shift by Natalka Burian. I hate that I'm upset that this woman has to have two jobs to survive in New York. Like, even in fiction, I'm like, no, that is not how life should be. But like, that's that's how you know this is doing it right, because it's that realistic that we're like, I would need secret shortcuts, too, to get from bartending to an upscale bakery. My next pick is Hashmina by Needy Chachani. And this is actually a graphic novel. Priyanka Doss has so many unanswered questions. Why did her mother abandon her home in India years ago? What was it like there? And most importantly, who is her father? And why did her mom leave him behind? But Pri's mom avoids these questions. The topic of India is permanently closed. For Pri, her mother's homeland can only exist in her imagination. That is, until she finds a mysterious pashmina tucked away in a forgotten suitcase. When she wraps herself in it, she is transported to a place more vivid and colorful than any guidebook or Bollywood film. But is this the real India? And what is the shadow lurking in the background? To learn the truth, Pri must travel farther than she's ever dared and find the family she never knew. In this heartwarming graphic novel debut, Nidhi Chachani weaves the tale about the hardship and self-discovery that is born from juggling two cultures and two worlds. So I read this book in, or this graphic novel rather, in 45 minutes. I flew through it so quickly. It's really, really great for dipping your toe into not necessarily time travel, but alternate timelines, I guess. I don't really know how to explain it beyond what I really loved about the way the narrator uh, presented the story is that in the present, every, all of the graphics are black and white. When she puts the pashmina on and she's traveling around this imaginary version of India, it's bright and colorful. And then when she has flashbacks to the past or her mother growing up, it's the, the graphics are in sepia. So I think it's really approachable for young readers because they have that visual aid to let them know like, 
this is her imaginary world, this is present, and then these are flashbacks. And you don't have to do that work as the reader to remember where it is. So I thought that was really unique about the book as well. Going back to the thing that I did with uh, my last pick is they t they reference a lot of like Indian food, um, Indian places, things like that. And in the book, there is a little glossary that you can bookmark in Libby and then jump to that page so that you're knowing what they're referencing. So I don't know if anyone else does this, but do you guys ever, when you first open a book, look at the um, table of contents to see if there's like a map, a glossary, like anything like that, and then bookmark it? Yeah, I love to jump to a map and have that, or, or like you were talking about earlier with a family tree, if there's any sort of character timeline, I absolutely have that bookmarked because I'm already flying through those names. I need to, at some point, I'll go like, wait, who are, who are all of these people? If I can jump back to that, or if I can jump to like, like you were saying, the glossary, it's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I recommend doing that in this book. If you aren't familiar with like Indian cuisines or, you know, they, they, um, call each other like nicknames. Um, that is something that is helpful for this book. I just opened up a sample of it while you were talking about it and it's gorgeous. Like I really appreciate this art style. I like there, there's something to me that I don't know, it has a really specific look that I love. And as you were mentioning the different color tones using black and white for the present, but that her world of basically like imagination with the pashmina is so colorful and vivid and unfortunately there's no sepia tones in the sample so I can't speak to that but I will absolutely be checking this is going to be my fun read for tonight <laughs> something else I love about reading graphic novels too that you just reminded me of is that you can zoom in like you can zoom in on the panel so like I have a really hard time seeing I'm like going blind at 32 and so I really appreciate that when I'm reading a graphic novel in Libby, that I can zoom in and see so much more detail than if I were reading the physical copy. So yeah, I love the graphics in this. You're so right. Thank you for sharing this one, especially knowing that I can take something from this episode today and be done today <laughs> is, I don't know, that's super exciting. So if you haven't tried a graphic novel yet, this sounds like a great intro like if you're here because you love this genre but this is your chance to try a little little graphic book we're into it last i have the change by kirsten miller in the long island oceanfront community of matok three different women discover that midlife changes bring a whole new type of empowerment after nessa james husband dies and her twin daughters leave for college she's left all alone in a trim white house not far from the ocean in the quiet of her late 40s, the former nurse begins to hear voices. It doesn't take long for Nessa to realize that the voices calling out to her belong to the dead, a gift she's inherited from her grandmother, which comes with special responsibilities. On the cusp of 50, suave advertising director Harriet Osborne has just witnessed the implosion of her lucrative career and her marriage. She hasn't left her house in months, and from the outside, it appears as if she's if she and her garden have both gone to seed, but Harriet's life is far from over. In fact, she's undergone a stunning and very welcome metamorphosis. Ambitious former executive Joe Levinson has spent 30 long years at war with her body. The free-floating rage and hot flashes that arrive with the beginning of menopause feel like the very last straw, 
until she realizes she has the ability to channel them and finally comes into her power. Guided by voices only Nessa can hear, the trio of women discover a teen girl whose body was abandoned beside a remote beach. The police have written the victim off as a drug-addicted sex worker, but the women refuse to buy into the official narrative. Their investigation into the girl's murder leads to more bodies and to the town's most exclusive and isolated enclave, a world of stupendous wealth where the rules don't apply. With their newfound powers, Joe, Nessa, and Harriet will take matters into their own hands. So that is The Change by Kirsten Miller. My initial thought is even if she was a drug addicted sex worker, that she still needed still a justice. Person? Yeah, sorry. I know that's not the point of this book. <laughs> no, but but totally like you're right. Like, oh, cool. You don't get to just write it off. Let's still investigate the crime. Um, but I I love that there are some thriller elements in here. So like they basically go on a murder mystery romp, haunt, hunt to kind of take down uh, the imbalance of power, which to me is fantastic. And that also unexpected change really reminded me of Such Sharp Teeth by Rachel Harrison, that kind of like everything is normal and then overnight things change. Um, Well, I know that skews a little more gothic. There's a little shout out that probably fits here as well. And I just really love the thriller, like, again, like you said, mystery vibes that are throughout the heart of the story, but with those other cool elements as well. Because a lot of magical realism tends to fall in the uh, literature fiction vein. It's nice to have this kind of break or this uh, difference of storyline. Like, I, I love a literative fiction kind of piece, but being able to go the thriller route made it a little, a little extra fun. Okay, Marissa, how about your last title? All right. So my last title honestly might have been covered by PBN before, like back in the day of Jill and Adam. I know that they've talked about this author, which is Kathy Parks. And this book is Notes from My Captivity. Adrian Cahill cares about three things, getting into a great college, becoming a revered journalist like her idol, Sydney DeClay, and making her late father proud of her. So when Adrienne is offered the chance to write an article that will get her into her dream school and debunk her foolish stepfather's belief that a legendary family of hermits lives in the Russian Siberian wilderness, there is no question that she's going to fly across the world. But the Russian terrain is even less forgiving than Adrian, And when disaster strikes, none of their extensive preparations seem to matter. Now Adrian's being held captive by the family she was convinced didn't exist, and her best hope for escape is to act like she cares about them, even if it means wooing the youngest son. Yes, jaw drops. Jaw drops. You're like, is this Patty Hearst? Like, is this (laughs) right? This book was not what I was expecting. Like, I read the back jacket cover. I was like, oh, Russian wilderness survival story. Like, gimme, gimme, gimme. I love a survival story. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it's going to be spookier than it is. It is. It's it's not spooky. Yeah, it, it sounds like it would be spooky. Like, from that description alone, the whole... 
I mean, the Siberian wilderness anyway, that already to me is like you were saying, kind of that adventure novel. But then to also have a mysterious family, she was convinced didn't exist. And now she's being held captive. It sounds very spooky, but going into the like flip side of no, it's it's a little magical, mystical. I, I guess that kind of puts it into perspective for me. Yeah, it's more things aren't as they seem than it is spooky. And um, the magical part of the magical realism doesn't really come in until like the last quarter of the book, the same way that um, the house across the lake, like there's nothing about it in the first three quarters of it that you're like, this is magic. And then, you know, you get hit with the twist. But this is similar, like you get pretty far into it before that magical part kind of comes into play. And it's surprising. It's fantastical. I really, really liked this book. I mean, I love survival stories. So like pairing a survival story where we kind of get to see like what it's like to try to um live in the wilderness the Russian wilderness especially like that's so intriguing to me then she meets this family and it's you know really about her um kind of figuring this family out this family that she never thought existed so I really recommend this one I loved it loved it loved it I read it out while I was traveling with the bookmobile and I didn't stop thinking about it for weeks so that is Notes from My Captivity by Kathy Parks. What a strong title to end with. My last pick for this is a newer title that came out in September of 2022, and that is Spells for Forgetting by Adrian Young. This has been on my TBR for quite some time now, so I'm hoping to get to it soon. Good problems to have, but Uh, podcast books seem to keep getting in my way, (laughs) my DVR. So this book follows Emery Blackwood. Her life has changed forever. The night that her best friend is found dead and the love of her life, August Salt was accused of murdering her. Years later, she's doing what her teenage self swore she never would, living a quiet existence on the misty remote shores of Sertia Island and running the family's business, Blackwood's Tea Shop, Herbal Tonics, and Tea Leaf Readings. That's a mouthful. But when the island, rooted in folklore and magic, begins to show signs of strange happenings, Emery knows that something is coming. The morning she wakes to find that every single tree on Sertia has turned color in a single night, August returns for the first time in 14 years and unearths the past that the town had tried desperately to forget. August knows he's not welcome on Sertia, not after the night everything changed. As a fire raged on the Salt family orchard, Lily Morgan was found dead in the dark woods, shaking the bedrock of their tight-knit community and branding August a murderer. When he returns to bury his mother's ashes, he must confront the people who turn their backs on him and face the one wound from his past that has never healed. Emery. But the town has more than one reason to want August gone, and the emergence of deep betrayals and hidden promises spanning generations threaten to reveal the truth behind Lily's mysterious death once and for all. So I love everything about the way that this sounds. We have like some crime, some intrigue, magical elements. We have 
maybe some second chance romance style or, you know, past romance and we've got to make things right. So that is Spells for Forgetting again by Adrienne Young that came out in September of last year. And the cover is lovely. So that does have to go to the general aesthetic vibe of my picks. I love the cover. Well, Marissa, thank you for joining us to talk about magical realism. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to come back. I love the chance when we can kind of meet in the middle with our literary loves. And it's it's so fun, especially with such a broad genre like this, for us to still kind of fall in our own spaces, like with your last title being that outdoor adventure and all of mine being like vaguely witchy. And and Emma with her thriller picks, like Emma's list wouldn't be an Emma list if it didn't have a thriller pick on it. Let's be honest. Well, everyone, thank you again for listening to this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Remember, you can find all of the titles we mentioned in today's episode in the description of this podcast. If you have questions or comments, have a suggestion for a future episode, feel free to reach out to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With that, thank you all so much for listening and happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com or in Libby. Our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.